Howdy, and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne. Uh, today, what we're going to talk about is, yet again, somebody on the internet angering me. This time, what it's about is about how trainable dogs are as individuals. So the argument being put forth by this dog trainer and agreed with by, quite hardly by her acolytes was that all dogs can be trained the same way. Here's a problem with that. It's not true. So let's start first with the premise that all dogs can be trained the same way. Because there is some truth to it, but it, it loses all viability in the details. So by example, I could take any dog, food deprive them to the point where they want food. So with a Labrador, it'd be half a second with some Basset hounds or sight hounds or livestock guardian dogs, it could be two years before they work for food. And then I could say to them, sit and you get food and they will do so. The problem lies with the idea that every dog is the same. And the reason there's a problem here is because let's say you're in a class where everybody believes this, where everybody's like, oh yeah, all you need to do is ask for the behavior mark the behavior, reward the behavior, and you're done. And the dog will get it. And your dog doesn't follow that. Your dog is like, meh, I'm good. I don't need any of this stuff. He doesn't want to work for you. He doesn't care about the food. I mean, it's cool if you can get it for free, but if he has to do anything, well, eh, I don't really want it. And if you do more than one rep, he's peace out, dude, I'm gone. Well, now you're in a problem because either you're a failure or your dog's a failure or somebody's a failure because obviously if the instructor is right, all dogs can be trained exactly the same and should respond exactly the same. That's not remotely possible. So what happens is, is that some dogs are what we refer to as more biddable, that is trainable, than other dogs. And those run both inside and outside of genetic lines. So by that I mean as a genetic uh, generalization, border collies are more biddable than basset hounds. German shepherds are more biddable than sight hounds, any sight hound, name a, a greyhound. A Labrador retriever is going to be way more biddable as a rule than a Wheaton Terrier. That doesn't mean you can't train a Wheaton Terrier. It means you have to train a Wheaton Terrier differently, often, not every time. So that's all this noodle words, all these sometimes mostly, kind of mostly, all those words are what really need to happen for anything to be factual when it comes to behavior. So when anybody says categorically this or that, eh, it's probably wrong, unless the categorical thing is that it's not going to be the same for everybody. So when we talk about biddable breeds, we talk about breeds that were genetically bred to work for humans for rewards that come from the human. Okay, by that I mean, imagine you have a border collie. That is a dog who lives in the shed outside your house in Wales. And you go out to the shed and you release that dog. And you say to that dog, go get all my sheep and bring them to me. You are the keys to the kingdom for that dog. That dog needs to get through you to get to the work that that dog lives and dies for you are a really important piece of the picture. Whereas your Jack Russell Terrier living on that same farm goes out the door with the farmer, runs to the barn without the farmer, goes in through the hole he dug underneath the barn door, 
and goes and murders a bunch of rats. He doesn't need the human being to be a part of this picture at all. The hounds that run in front of the horses that chase the fox, they don't need the humans on the horses to do their job. They just need somebody unlock the door and they're off to the races as it were. So the amount of natural need for the dog to turn to us for help is gonna be put into those dogs differently. I don't want my Jack Russell Terrier to find a rat, tell me, hey, I found a rat, come back into the house, hey, 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 I found a rat, I found a rat, and then go back to the barn and point out where the rat was 10 minutes ago. That's not useful to me. A Jack Russell Terrier needs to dispose of the rat instantly. They don't need my input. And therefore, my input loses value to a terrier, to most terriers. They don't, they don't need us to do their job. They don't need us to micromanage how to kill a rat or whatever, a badger, whatever they're trying to murder. Same with a hound. Whatever the hound is looking for, they don't really need our input. We actually need them more than they need us. Their noses are what we're following. We simply put them on the trail, tell them what to look for, and then let them do their jobs. And their job is to ignore every single thing else in the environment but the thing they're tracking with their nose. So imagine if somebody along the, the hunt, say you have a bunch of fox dogs and well, fox hounds, and you're on the hunt and somebody has, I don't know, they run, you run across a road and there's roadkill and there's a dead critter. If all of your foxhounds run and roll in dead critter and eat dead critter instead of following their noses to chase the fox, well, the game is over. They've done a shitty job of their job. So when we say, well, my beagle can't listen to me because he's too busy smelling, well, no shit, Sherlock. That's exactly what they're bred to do. If you want a dog who'd breed, who wants to listen to you, buy a dog who wants to listen to you. If you want a dog who's going to shove their nose into the ground and follow it to whatever the goal is, get a beagle. Well, and then there are people like, well, but I like beagles. Well, okay, you like beagles. If you like beagles, you also cannot like to do high, high, high and obedience work not with the same dog I, you know i i could like to you know i could like to go really really fast i'm not going to buy a shetland pony i'm going to buy a thoroughbred and the idea that i could just train my shetland pony to be as good as a thoroughbred is ludicrous it's madness so the idea that we can train your beagle to as quickly ignore outside distractions and have a on the time turn on the dime recall versus a border collie is is insane and it's unfair and it's unfair because people suffer when we say shit like this and dogs suffer because when we say stuff like this then somebody's to blame when it doesn't go right when you go back to class and your basset hound is pretty much asleep at the bottom of your feet snorting and farting and all the other dogs are keenly paying attention and the, you can get one behavior out of your basset hound and that behavior had better be a uh, sit on the way to a down, you're gonna feel like a failure if that trainer has told you, well, they all train the same, they're all the same. The dog is not the same. You have every right to expect your trainer to honor the fact that your dog is genetically different than the Belgian Malinois who's ricocheting off the walls and will chew through those walls if their owner asks them to. So what do we do when we own the breeds that aren't as biddable? What do we do if we don't own 
or don't like. Maybe you don't like, who, a lot of people don't like to live with a border collie. They're crazy. Lot, I couldn't imagine living with a Malinois. Good for people who do. So let's say you want to live with a Basset Hound or you want to live with a Sharpay or a Jack Russell Terrier and this whole time you've been horrified because I keep calling them JRTs instead of Parsons Terriers, but whatever. What do you do then? How do you train the dog in front of you? Well, you adapt. And the first thing you have to understand is that this dog, if you have a non-biddable type of breed, if you have a breed that is going to be more about themselves, which is fine, than about you, and it's not about love, it's not about, oh, he, he loves me. No, it's about working for you. There are plenty of people who I like a lot. I wouldn't work for them. That's the difference. So when we have a dog whose genetic disposition is to be self-employed, whether that self-employment is a livestock guardian dog, or it's a terrier, or it's slightly directed play, or it's slightly directed uh, work like a fox terrier, because obviously training has to go in at the beginning to train the dog what the scent is. But then after that, you know, they don't have a lot of cued behaviors. It's go get the fox, come off the dead fox. That's pretty much it. So when you have one of those breeds and you want to train it, what I'm going to tell you is you have to come at it from a slightly different angle. Those breeds are going to tend to be a little more what we call transactional, whereas every time you ask for a behavior, they're going to ask themselves and you, well, what's in it for me? My border crawlers won't do that. My border collie is going to be like, oh, you want me to sit? I want to sit. I love sitting. Labrador retrievers. Oh, I want to sit. I love sitting. I'll sit here all day. Your Jack Russell Terrier is going to be like, mm, really? Because what's in it for me? Is there, is there anything here that is worth my time? And if the answer is no, they're going to say peace out and walk away and go entertain elsewhere. Hounds are even worse at this, where they're like, no, no even if you have something, it better be good. And even if it's really good, it's like, well, that looks like work. They're kind of the stoners of the dog world. It's like, well, I know I can do math, but do I have to? So you have to train them differently. You have to come in with a different mental app, uh, mindset. So as an example, I can train, I have a little, I have Briscoe, my little Aussie puppy. He's 11 months old and I can easily train him for 20 minutes. I mean, it's, you know, 20 minutes is, is hard for him, but he can totally stay on track on the job practicing hailing and sitting and downing and fronting and all of that for 20 minutes and he's all in and I've got all the behaviors I want and I've got them snappy I've got them fast I've got them enthusiastic he is all in if I tried to do that with a basset hound there is no way I could do that with a basset hound no way with or my livestock guardian dog if I did that with Billy she'd be like uh yeah I'm gone so I kind of joke that Billy is the kind of dog where you better ask her behavior, you better pay well, and you better take a photo because she's not doing it again. Because she thinks it's stupid. Repetition is silly. Border Collies will chase the same ball 1,000 times, like brainless idiots. They're junkies. And so if you ask them to sit 1,000 times in a row, they're like, oh, oh, I love to sit. If you ask some of these other breeds to sit more than once, they're going to look at you like you're a dumbass because they're like, I did the thing. Why am I doing the thing again? This makes no sense to me. This is not logical. And what's in it for me? So with a Border Collie, I might be able to, or my Australian Shepherd, I might be able to fade my lures and fade my treats faster. 
What that means is, is when, say, Briscoe's a puppy, he gets a treat for every sit for the first 20 sits, and then he gets one every second sit, and then he has a sit as an opportunity for a down. The down pays, but the sit doesn't. And I fade and fade and fade and fade and fade until, you know, a year I can ask him for maybe three or four behaviors as long as I'm paying attention to the behaviors and they're well-known. I can probably get three or four behaviors, even maybe more, for one treat. Maybe that's too much to ask for a basset hound. Maybe your basset hound is still going to have a one-to-one going into two years of age where he's like, yeah, I still need it. So for them, it's going to be a lot more about finding out what really flies his kite and making sure that that is the thing that he gets more than maybe the treat. Because working for you, he might love you. And this is not about love or relationship or any of that crap. Working for you has no value. Zero. And again, this is not about emotion. This is not about, oh, he loves me. This isn't love. This is the desire to do the job for you. He just doesn't have it. Why should he? He was never bred to have a desire to work for anybody, but doing his job for himself, which is whatever it is basset hounds do, some sort of houndy sniffing stuff. So maybe what you find out is that you can get him to do three behaviors if you follow those three behaviors by, say, throwing a bunch of treats into grass for him to sniff. So instead of having a one-to-one food-to-treat ratio, you're able to say, well, here's a really high-value thing, sniffing and grass for food, that you find super valuable, that I can give you after you give me these behaviors. So I, I always try to tell people, be aware that some dogs are always going to be asking, what's in it for me? And it doesn't make them bad dogs. It doesn't make them selfish dogs. What, what is that even a thing? How can you even be a selfish dog? We're all selfish. It makes them a genetically true dog. It makes them what they are genetically, which is not slavishly devoted to your every breath, like the Border Collies, like the Australian Shepherds, like the German Shepherds and the Dobermans, and all of these working breeds who live and die by our very existence. These dogs care more about the environment and what's in it and what's going on in it than you because that's exactly what we wanted from them when we bred them. So when we ask them to do something, we need to be really respectful of what the genetics bring to the table. And you guys, I'm hoping you're noticing I bring up the word genetics a lot because genetics really matter. And there's been a move in dog training away from the idea that dogs as distinct breeds have value. And I'm gonna tell you as somebody who owns genetic breeds of dogs for very specific reasons, genetics are everything. I could tell you, if you gave me a description of an Australian Shepherd, and then you gave me a description of a Border Collie just by their behavior, I could describe which breed it is. Those are two herding dogs. They're not even all that different. I mean, don't tell the Aussie people this, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that a lot of the genetics that come into the Australian uh, Australian Shepherd come from Border Collies. So, I'm, but they are totally different dogs to live with. So when we look at genetics, we have to really be honest and not make people who buy different breeds of dog feel bad about themselves. And this is part of the reason everybody in the brother, if you go look at, if you look at her, if you look at dog trainers and look at the breeds dog trainers own, just go to TikTok 
or don't go there. I guess your brain will melt. Go to a, maybe Instagram. I don't go there a lot. Or fee Facebook or wherever you go to see your videos of dog trainers. And just look at the photos of the dog trainers with their own dogs. What you will see is you will see that most of those dogs that they show are going to be German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois, maybe Rottweiler, Border Collie, Australian Shepherd. Those are going to be the breeds. The reason those are the breeds is because dog trainers love to train. And if you love to train dogs, unless you're really a masochist, you're going to buy a breed who really loves to be trained. And that doesn't mean every trainer. Uh, the person who I think wrote puppy, I think the person who wrote puppy culture, I think that's her, she breeds, what does she breed? She breeds some crazy breed. Bull Terriers, a breed not noted for being enti entirely biddable. And, you know, good for her. Somebody has to. But I will tell you that if you come to me and you say I have goal A, B, or C in my head, what breed should I get? I'm probably not going to say Basset Hound unless your goal is to have something on which to rest your feet. Uh, I'm not going to say go get a husky unless you come to me and say I want a dog who's going to pull my bike when I go bicycling. And I want a dog who can run for three hours straight. Breed matters. And it's just funny because I come from the horse world. And I remember having these arguments 30 years ago. I remember I was working in Scottsdale at an Arab farm. I was not particularly enamored of Arabians. I'm not an Arabian loving person. I prefer warm bloods and dressage type breeds. But anyway, I'm talking to a guy who's a, dog, a, a trainer at a very famous Arabian barn. And I was telling him, look, you know, they're great horses for endurance. They're fantastic. They're, they are unbeatable endurance horses. And my attitude is always, well, that's what they do. Take it and run with it, literally. Take what your animal brings to you and go in that direction with your animal. But no, he's arguing with me. Well, they can jump and they can hunt. They can do cutting. You can do cutting work with Arabians. And you can do this and you can do that. And, well, yeah, okay, good. But the best cutting horses in the world are not Arabians. The best jumping horses in the world are not Arabians. Yes, you can fit your square peg into a round hole if you hammer hard enough or you get lucky. But coming and saying, well, my square hole fit into a round, or my square peg fit into a round hole, therefore they almost is bullshit. I have a border collie and I'm doing IGP, which is Schutzhund, which is bite work or protection work or whatever you want to call it. It's the stuff where you see the Malinois. It's actually for German Shepherds. IGP Schutzhund was designed as a breed test for German Shepherds. And it involves a lot of healing and it involves uh, what they call step tracking, which is where the dog sticks his nose in the ground and actually literally tracks your, your footsteps. Uh, that's supposed to be like apprehension. And then bite work, which is where you have the guy in the suit and he's running away and the dog jumps up and grabs the guy in the suit and then releases and all of that. Okay. I have a border collie, Matilda, the wild child, and we're think we're going to do that. We have been doing it for the last year. Is she going to be good at it? No. No, she's not. Is she going to go to Worlds? Not even if she had the best trainer in the world could she go to Worlds. Are we going to have fun? Sure. Do I know her limitations going in? Absolutely. Am I making excuses for her? 
No, we are going to try as hard as we can, but we're going to try as hard as we can understand the limitations that this particular breed, Border Collie, and this particular dog, Matilda, bring to the table. Could the absolute best Border Collie bred that actually really digs this, is genetically predisposed for whatever reason to dig this sport, could that dog win? Probably. But if you came to me saying I want to do IGP, I would not recommend a Border Collie. So people have gotten to this weird place where it's like an insult if you, they don't mention your breed of dog. It, it's the weirdest thing. So here's the deal. I own Border Collies and I own Australian Shepherds. Do you want a service dog? Don't get a Border Collie. Do you want a carting dog where you can cart things around? Don't get a Border Collie. Do you want a therapy dog we can go take to schools and, and uh, hospitals? for therapy work, don't get a Border Collie. Do you want a dog who could beat any other dog at a racetrack because it's the fastest dog in the world? Don't get a Border Collie. Do you see? It's not an insult. I'm not, my feelers aren't hurt, but I will tell you this. If you want to move a bunch of stock from one place to another, if you've got a huge bunch of stock out in a field and you need to get them all down to you, get a Border Collie. That, I mean, it, it's not an insult to say your dog's not good at something. It is an insult to say your dog could be good at something if you just worked harder. That's what's insulting. And that disregards the pieces of, that your dog does bring to the table. If you have a Basset Hound, maybe instead of turning yourself inside out trying to get a UDX because you really love obedience on your Basset Hound or your, your, on your Beagle and you want to be the first person to ever get a UDX on a Beagle. Somebody's going to write me and say they already have a UDX on a Beagle. I don't know. I could be, who knows. Beagles can be very biddable at times. But let's say that obedience is your jam and you're like, I, but I also love Beagles. How is that fun? I don't know. Good for you. I mean, I guess. But, you know, do what the dog loves. You, know, you you can go get an obedience breed and go make your life fun for your dog. So the point of this again, and we'll wrap up before I get redundant, is just your dog brings behaviors to the table that make training your dog different than training other dogs. And if somebody tries to tell you that training your dog is exactly the same as training somebody else's dog, they're full of shit. And maybe they'll say, well, Skinner is always right, you know, rewards and punishment and blah, blah, blah. And that's true if your dog lived in a box. Because Skinner's animals lived in what we called Skinner boxes, where there were no conflicting motivators. The rats that he, or the pigeons that he was training, didn't have the option of learning to fly away. So when somebody says, well, your beagle should pay better attention because... According to Skinner, it's just rewards and punishment. Well, here's the issue. Your beagle sticking its nose into the ground is reward. Unless you chop the dog's nose off or pick it up off the ground, he is going to reward himself by simply putting his nose to the grass. That right there is your reward. So unless you take away all opportunities to do what he loves best, he, training him will not be the cakewalk that training a German Shepherd would be. And, you know, they all bring their own, you know, struggles to the picture. You know, for a German Shepherd, you know, you're, you're going to have the issue, the opposite of issue of a dog who's like, can we work now? Can we work now? I want to work now. How about now? How about now? How about now? All day long until you're like, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom. So 
there's a reason a lot of people don't live with breeds that we consider biddable. Living with some of these breeds is very difficult. I know this because I see lots of people who go out and get border collies and Australian shepherds because they're quote unquote easy to train, forgetting that easy to train and easy to live with are not necessarily the same thing. And in fact, in often, often, in many cases, they can actually be diametrically opposed. A Labrador Retriever is both easy to train and easy to live with for most people. A Border Collie is not easy to train and easy to live with for most people. A Basset Hound is not easy to train and easy to live with for most people, but he is. they tend to be very easy to live with. So just because a dog is easy to train does not mean that that is the dog for you unless you want to do a ton of training. So if you love your difficult to, brain, to train Sharpays, if you love Sharpays, if you love the way they look, and you don't ask a lot of your dogs and you live with them just great, but you go to classes and they, they don't seem to work as well as some of the other dogs, who cares? If you're not trying to win at Crufts in freestyle, then who cares if you have a breed that's not super wanting to be trained? It doesn't matter. I love training. I own dogs that are bred to be loving, to love being trained. I also own a livestock guardian dog because I need a dog to do that too. But she knows nothing. Like she knows her name. She knows how to come when called more or less if she's in the good mood. She knows how to go into a kennel. She more or less knows how to walk on a leash. And that is all. And if I was really crazed, I could say, well, I could really challenge myself and try to get, you know, an obedience or rally or something on this dog. But I don't like working that hard, honestly. I'm, I consider myself a lazy trainer and I'm going to use an easy dog. So I, I, you know, live with the dog you want to live with. And I think that's wonderful, but don't take it as an insult. If your dog, your dog's breed is not quote unquote, super trainable. That's not an insult. That simply tells you that your dog was not bred to be slavishly devoted to your every whim. That's not a bad thing. We couldn't live with dog, all the dogs being exactly like border collies or German Shepherds or Belgian Malinois or Labrador Retrievers. There's a reason we have these breeds that don't care about our opinion, like terriers and hounds and livestock guardian dogs. They don't care. They don't want our input. They don't, they just do their thing. That's all, that's all they want to do, their thing. If you can get them to, to do some of your things, cool. If not, meh, it is what it is. So don't take it as an insult when people tell you that your dog will be harder to train or that your dog is more transactional, that he's going to ask every single time you ask for behavior, well, what's in it for me? That's not a bad thing. That's just genetics. That's what we put into the dog. There's nothing wrong with that. Most people are like that too, let's be honest. We all know people who are like, well, but what's in it for me? So in a dog, there's no moral equivalency. There's, they, they're not moral, ethical creatures. They don't adhere to our mores. Being selfish as a wild animal or a domestic animal is totally appropriate and correct. So if a trainer tells you that your dog should train up as easily as another breed and you know for a fact it's not, know that that trainer has given you information about themselves much more than they've given you information about your dog. So that's all for today. I wish you all happy training, best of luck, and I'll talk to you all later. Thanks.
ไป